Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this group of people. I love them, Lord. Thank you for the summer, God. Thank you for this weather. Thank you for the rain that has saturated our dry land, God. I just thank you for all your blessings. I pray for every person here, God. I pray for their finances. I pray for prosperity in every area of their life, Lord, that they would bless you, rise up and call you blessed, Lord. I also pray for the fires in Reading, God. We know, Lord, that you have everything in your hands and what the enemy meant for evil, God, you will use for good. I just pray, Lord, that you would bring rain to that area, God, that you would push the fire away, that you would just absolutely do more than what anybody can imagine through the, the money that's going to come through, through the um, resources. They're going to be so blessed, Lord, by what you're going to do to reverse and restore what the enemy has stolen, God. And I just I thank you for who you are, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, pass it around. Are you pass? Pass it. Okay. All right. Can I have my um, picture up here? The one I sent you? As you know, look at that wonderful picture. Hey, turn our, turn our lights off so we can see it. I should, I should have worn your earrings because they're bobber earrings. Look at that fish, you guys. How big was that, Chris? But how, how long was it? Thir I say it was 30 inches. 24? 30 in more than 30 inches? I know. Well, he's holding it out from me, too. It's a little bit of an optical illusion. But I did not know. What'd you say? No. I did not know, but... Fish are super slimy, so I didn't want to hold it like, like, you know. So I had my captain guy hold it for me. But isn't that a good-looking fish? No. We had to give it back. We had to give it to the people that were with us because we couldn't carry it back. But um, we would have if we could have, right? Did you have a good time, babe? Did we what? Did not name it. No. Yeah, we had to kill it. All right, let's get going. I just wanted to show you what I did on vacation. Chris and I had a great time, and I'm going to come back to this a little bit later, but I wanted to just give you a little bit of a taste of what we, what we did out there. Look at that beautiful lake behind us. Isn't that cool? All right, I'm going to start out with um, showing you this book. It's called Joyful Intentionality. We're going to be talking about joy tonight, pursuing joy. Whoever does not have this book, you need to order it right away. It's by um, Allison Brown, and she is a cohort, co-worker, cohort of um, Graham Cook. It's real, real good. But I did not name my sermon Joyful Intentionality because I haven't arrived at Joyful Intentionality. And like we all say, Bob says in particular, the sermon you get from me is the sermon I'm working on for myself, just so you know. This is, it's almost always about me when we talk. But I'm thinking that maybe you can get something from it, too. Is that fair? So that's why I called it pursuit of joy. Because I don't know about you, I don't feel joyful all the time. And I'm pretty sure I'm a Christian. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure. And I'm pretty sure that the hallmark of being a Christian is joy. I mean, I'm pretty sure. And yet... There's a lot of times I don't feel joy. I don't feel the emotion joy. I'm not walking in joy. And so I'm like, hey, what's going on? Like, why 
is this not working for me? You know, and so when Bob showed me this book, I started reading it. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. And then Brian Fenimore, who, by the way, is going to be here next week, he, um, yeah, he got me a book about joyful leadership, being a, um, leading from a place of joy. And I believe that as we are intentional about maturing as Christians, we're going to be intentional about walking in joy. And we're going to be intentional about um, differentiating ourselves away from just doing life the way everybody else does it. Does that make sense? I think that when um, Jesus walked on this earth, he was very different from the people around him. And it got him in a lot of trouble sometimes. I mean, people love, you either loved him or you hated him. I mean, he either had people that, there weren't a lot of lukewarm people. They, they were either so in love with him they couldn't stand it, or, or they just hated him. You know, I had to kind of talk to Emma a little bit about that, um, about this thing going on in Reading, because, you know, there's haters out there, can I just say that, who are saying that the fire in Reading is God's judgment on Bill Johnson. I mean, can you believe it, right? And I was like, Emma, you can be stuck in a place of offense. And here's the sad thing. That's from people in the church. That's from our brothers and sisters. That's not even from the world. That's from other Christians. I think they're Christian. (laughs) And they're saying that this fire is, frankly, Bill Johnson's fault. And you know Emma, she's as high justice as it comes, and she can't take that. And I said, babe, you, you got to let that go. Because if you're doing something for the Lord, if you're really doing something for the Lord, you can expect persecution. And I said, I know Bill Johnson probably doesn't like hearing that, but I feel like he's had a lot of that in his life, and he knows how to handle it. So you don't need to walk around an offense on his behalf. You just need to find a way to let that go. But, you know, that's a thing that can really get in our way of joy is offense, Right? And offense can come from, quote, unquote, other Christians who don't believe what we believe or aren't as mature as us or, or whatever, don't even know our circumstance, and they can be really judgmental. And I feel like Jesus suffered with that a lot and dealt with that a lot when, um, you know, he was walking the earth. I think about, and I'm kind of skipping ahead of myself, but I don't care. One of the things that um, Jesus did a lot was he ate meals with a lot of people. And I think about our Saturday Night Supper Club and how he incorporated eating food and drinking (gasps) alcohol, wine, with people he loved, with people he was evangelizing, with everybody. You think about his first miracle. This is important. His first miracle was what? Turning water into wine, into alcohol. You know, there's people out there, quote-unquote Christians, who like to say that Jesus didn't turn water into wine. He turned it into unfermented grape juice because they're trying to preserve whatever kind of doctrine they got going on in their head that he somehow didn't drink alcohol and didn't drink wine. I'm here to tell you, he did, and he changed water into wine. Jesus was the life of the party, right? He was the life of the party. I just love that. The other thing we did when we went to Mackinac Island, we did, you guys know where Traverse City is? Not Mackinac, Michigan, Traverse City? Yeah. We went to Traverse City, and there's this cool winery that we got to go to, and then we went to a restaurant called the Jolly Pumpkin, which Chris likes to call the pumpkin seed because he couldn't remember it. But we had a great time at the Jolly Pumpkin, didn't we? It was, it was good memory-making for us. 
So why did I want to talk about joy? Because we got a choice. We can either pursue joy or we can live in bondage to the lies of this world. Fear, despair, loss, um, identity issues. We have a choice. We either choose joy, we choose to pursue joy, or we choose to live beneath our birthright. Because the reality of joy is the birthright of every child of God. It would be like this. Suppose, I mean, most of us are parents here. Who is not a parent? Sharon, Jane. But you have front, yeah, Jane's not a parent, yeah. We all have people in our lives, though. Imagine if you were, um, it was Christmas, and you went out and you shopped, and you got all these Christmas gifts, and you put them under the tree, and they had your kids' names on them or your friends' names on them, and at Christmas Day rolled around, and your kids came downstairs, and you were just waiting for them to open their presents, and they come downstairs, and they sit on the couch, and they're like, yeah, none of that's for me. And you're like, no, your name's on it. I bought it specifically for you. I put your name on it. I wrapped it. I, I shopped, and I really thought about what you would like, and I put it under the Christmas tree, and they wouldn't open the gift. They wouldn't take it because they're like, well, it's not for me. I would rather stay over here on the couch saying that's for somebody else. I don't want to go over there and, un and unwrap it and receive it. I'll just stay over here saying it's not for me, or maybe I don't see it or it doesn't exist. But how would you feel as a parent or as a person who did the shopping? Would you be hurt? Would it be like, what's going on? And kind of, that's the way it is with the Lord and with us. He has all these gifts for us and all this joy for us that we have to reach out and accept. Like we have to actually possibly, follow me with this metaphor, get up off the couch, go to the Christmas tree, and retrieve the gift that he specifically marked for us. There's something that we have to do in order to receive the gift, but the gift is already there. Does that make sense? It's not like we have to like, it's not like God is saying, well, go mow the lawn, then do the dishes and make your bed and then you'll get your Christmas gift. That's not what God is saying. God is saying, I got a Christmas gift for you. I bought it. I paid for it. I thought about it for a long, long time. I really wish you'd open it because it would give me so much joy if you'd open it. And I can't wait to see your face when you open it because you're going to love it because I bought it just for you because you've been waiting for a long, long time for the big wheel or whatever, whatever it might be right? And I feel like that's the way it is with, um, with us. We have an inheritance in the Lord that we have to go and get. Does that make sense? Okay. So I know on my, um, I know on my, when I posted my little thing for Facebook, I said I was going to take it from the book of Philippians. That was a lie, just so you know. There's no scriptures here from Philippians, all right? But I am going to give you two. I know it's false advertising. I told you I was maybe a Christian. I mean, you know. So board, I'm borderline. So here's my two scriptures, okay? My, I, I kind of looked up joy, and here's two scriptures I wanted to um, concentrate on. And the first one is from Nehemiah 8.10. Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate with a feast of, feast again, food, Feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah 8.10. The 
The second verse I want to talk about is, that's Old Testament. Here's New Testament. This is from John 15, 11. This is the Passion Translation. My purpose for telling you these things, this is Jesus, is so that the joy that I experience will fill your hearts with overflowing gladness. So we've got an Old Testament reference. We've got a New Testament reference. So there's two things I get out of this. We pursue, pursue joy because it's the only way we're going to thrive in the world that we live in. We have to pursue joy. We have to live out of joy if we are going to be conquerors and overcomers in this world. That's point number one. Point number two is this. We pursue joy not only for ourselves, but to draw others to Christ. Because the joy that we have is so attractive that other people are dying for it. They are absolutely dying for it. You know the person that I thought about when I was thinking about this natural overflowing joy, I wish he was here, is Chip Valandra. Do you guys know him? Whenever you talk to him, that man is laughing out loud about the silliest thing. You could insult him to his face. He'd be like, ha, 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 that's so funny. You're right, or whatever. There's not much. I've never seen him angry. Have you? There's not much you can do, I think, to hurt him, offend him. I, he and I will have outright ab opposite, you know, points of view. We'll disagree, and we'll end up being, but I love you so much. Because you can't, you can't offend him. He, right? But I, when I think about someone who's got an overflowing heart of joy, I think about him. He's so attractive. He's been through the ringer. His life has not been a bowl of cherries. He's been through the ringer, but yet his heart overflows with joy, legitimate joy. And I would love to be more like that. The reality is, though, life can be tough, but we can't give up. I, was, um, I have my point down here on writing about Redding, California. You know, I was talking to Emma because, you know, I'm talking to her every day and, and talking her off the ledge because she's like, well, I have a place to live and they're insulting Bethel so much and blah, blah, blah. And I wasn't trying to be glib and this isn't, this is not a glib thing, but I said, Emma, there's two ways to look at this. Yes, it, there's fires out there and it's horrible and I don't want people to die and I don't want their homes to burn up. But here's, here's the thing to hold on to. What the enemy meant for evil, God will use for good. I said, you watch and see how the churches in Reading will rise up and rebuild that city. It'll be better than it ever was. I saw a um, post by Chris Valentin, and he said, these are the five things that I hope for, for Reading. This was before the um, fire. And one of them was like, um, I want everyone to make $10,000 more than what they're making. That was one. Another one was, what, what were they? Everyone to be safe. I don't know. My point is, they have a heart for that city. They're not just about themselves. Bethel's not just about us four and no more and, and how do we just, you know, preserve or promote ourselves. They're about that city, Reading. And I said, you just watch and see, Emma. You should be saying, dear Lord, thank you so much. I get to go out when we're going to shine to the world and see how Bethel rebuilds that city because I guarantee you they will. I guarantee you that. But that doesn't mean that life's not tough. But what it does mean is God can take the disaster in our lives and show himself so strong through our disasters. If we will let him, if we will cooperate with him, he can do so much more than we can ever hope, dream, or imagine out of a pile of rubble. And that's what I was trying to tell her. I said, 
you, we don't rejoice the fire came, but we rejoice what God's going to do through this, right? We rejoice how he will show himself so strong through this that even all those naysayers are saying, this is God's judgment, <laughs> crazy, on Bethel are going to be set back on their heels when they see how Bethel steps up to this, right? Am I right? I'm excited to see what happens. The other thing about um, life, when we think about joy, we have to remember that life is a marathon, not a sprint. How many of you are runners? Anybody runners? Yay, yay. Anybody else runners? Yay. If you've ever run any long distance, you realize there's these different um, points that you go through where you hit the wall. And running is not about the physical. It's really about the mental. Am I right? Everything about running is in your head, except for 5% is your body. <laughs> because you, you, you start out the first mile, you're like, oh, I feel really good. I feel fine. And then by mile three or mile five, you're like, oh, I'm having to push through a wall. Then you push through that first wall, and you go the next couple of miles, and you feel really good. And then you see a hill, and you're like, oh, crap. And then you start giving yourself these um, points. You're like, well, I'll just go make past this tree. I'll go past this sign. Now I'm to the top of the hill. The thing about a marathon, when you're running a marathon, it's all about getting yourself to the end. What do you do? What's the mindset you put yourself in to get to the next mile marker, to get to the next water station, to get to the next whatever? And sometimes when we are um, beat down by life, that's, that's the wall that we've got to push through that we have to realize there's joy on the other side. And it's a mindset. It's a mindset of endurance. If we're going to pursue joy, we have to embrace the fact that life is a marathon and we're called to endure. We're called to push through whatever cramp we got in the side of our, you know, whatever, the runner's diarrhea sometimes that you get. Or, you know, I'm sorry, that's gross. It's true. It's his gross. <laughs> My point is that may be gross, but you have to keep on going. And life sometimes is really hard, and we have to keep on going because there's joy around the corner. And if we're going to pursue joy, we have to embrace the mindset that you keep going. You keep enduring, even when you feel like stopping. There is a um, quote from Philip Yancey, one of his books. And he says, endurance is not just the ability to bear a hard thing, but to turn it into glory to turn it into glory. But the way that we do that is we realize that the joy of the Lord is our strength. You know, um, Nehemiah, you remember Nehemiah? We did a study on him, and he um, was an exile in Babylon, and he heard about how Jerusalem was all broken down, and his heart was burdened for that. So he petitioned the king and said, can I go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls? Because they were being overrun, and the people inside the walls were were being harassed by all their enemies. And so he went to Jerusalem, and he rebuilt the walls in 52 days. Every single person was rebuilding the wall. Every wife, every husband, every kid, every grandchild, everybody was involved in rebuilding the walls. And at 52 days, they had the walls rebuilt. And what did they do? They had a feast. The thing I love about the Bible is... <laughs> So much of um, joy revolves around eating. 
um, you've got the feast of the tabernacles. You've got all the feasts in the Old Testament. You've got the, um, the wedding feast. You've got the, um, when Jesus is, when he was being anointed, he was eating. He was being, he was being criticized for eating with the sinners. There's the um, feast in heaven when we are the great banqueting feast. Everything is about eating when, and, and people being together. I just love that whole idea. I love the idea that food and eating food is synonymous with fellowship and joy and relationship with the Lord. I think that's so cool. But in Nehemiah, they were, um, Ezra had come out and read the law to the people. He discovered the books of the law, and they were grieved because they had not been following what they were supposed to do. And Nehemiah said, this is not the time for grieving. This is the time for joy because the joy of the Lord is your strength. They had just worked 52 days to get that wall up. And he said, now the joy of the Lord is your strength to maintain these walls and to walk forward in victory. So I thought it'd be good to do a little word study on what does joy mean in the Old Testament. So guess what joy in Nehemiah 8.10 means? Anybody? It means joy, just so you know. It means rejoicing or gladness. It's a feminine noun in the Hebrew, which I think is kind of cool. It means rejoicing or gladness. Strength in the Hebrew is masculine, and it means a place or means of safety, protection, refuge, stronghold. It's a refuge or human protection. I love the fact that joy is our protection. It's not just our strength like we think of being strong. It's a place of refuge and a place of protection for us. I think that's really cool because sometimes we think of joy as just being an emotion or the joy of the Lord just being um, an experience, but it's actually a place of protection for us where we're protected from what's going on in the world. I think that's a cool picture, a fortress. It's a stronghold that we get to run to and then we have walls protecting us from what the world wants to bring. It's a proactive weapon. Does that make sense? It's proactive, not just reactive. The, the other scripture, the one in John, Jesus is actually giving his um, disciples a teaching. He's at the Last Supper. And it's kind of his final hurrah in terms of teaching the disciples what he wants them to know. And I want you to consider this, you guys. He's at the Last Supper. He's washed the um, disciples' feet. He's already talked about who's going to betray him. Judas has already um, left and gone to do his business. And Jesus knows what is coming. He knows that he's going to the cross. It's not a mystery to him. He's always known, but he knows that this night is the night that he's going to the cross. And this is the night that he talks to his disciples about joy about his joy. And I think that's really ironic because why would he be talking about joy on the night that he's going to be killed and suffer? Suffer and be killed and suffer horribly. And yet his lesson is, I want to talk to you about my joy and how you can have joy. And that's his lesson on this, this, this is where this scripture comes from. 
I have told you these things so that you'll be filled with joy, and yes, your joy will overflow. Joy in the Greek is a feminine word. It means fullness, calm delight, gladness. And overflow means to make replete, I like this, to cram, level up, furnish, satisfy, execute, finish, accomplish, complete. It's the picture of um, a cup that's half empty being filled up to the brim so high that the cup can't hold everything and it spills out over. That's the picture of fullness or overflow that Jesus is talking about. And in this particular scripture, he's saying, my joy is like that, and I'm telling you these things so your joy can be like that. The night he was going to be killed, I'm so full of joy, I want you to have the joy that I'm going to have. So my question is, how do we get and live and stay in that kind of joy? Like, how do we get that? Living in this world with suffering and loss and divorce and relationship problems and financial problems and everything that's going on, how do we get to hold on to that kind of joy? And I think there's two, there's two answers. One is the relationship we have with God. Flat out knowing who God is. Flat out experiencing his love for us and experiencing who we are in him. And I think the other, just like I was telling you about that, that picture of the Christmas tree, we actually have to participate. There's something that we have to do. It's a two-way street, I think. There's the joy that God has. He's prepared all this joy for us. And we get to recognize that joy. Oh, there's presents under that Christmas tree. I recognize those presents. I, I totally acknowledge that my Heavenly Father bought those for me. But the other part is we have to go get those things. We have to stand up and go to that Christmas tree, root through all the presents, and get out our presents for ourselves. And we have to believe that there's presents under there. Right? So there's a part where we have to practice joy. There's a part where we have to enter into the discipline of joy, if you will. And I know we don't like the word discipline because it feels like it's striving or work, and that's not what I mean to say. You know, one thing, the, the title of this book is Joyful Intentionality. And what I'm talking about is the idea that we are intentional about our joy. You know, um, <laughs> this, uh, this is a funny example. This, who was it at my last barbecue? Anybody? Okay. We, I think Chris cooked, bless his heart. So we had this barbecue at our house. We invited, probably 70 people showed up. And I had, um, I made hamburgers and bratwurst, right? Anything else? I think I cooked a roast. And um, all these people came and ate all our meat. And Chris is like, we're out of meat, we're out of meat. So I went to my freezer and I pulled all this meat out and I just kept pulling out meat, pulling out meat, pulling out meat. And I gave it to Chris and he kept cooking it up, cooking it up and cooking it up. And these people that were already replete, they'd already had enough to eat. Every single time Chris pulled something off the grill, they're like, well, I think I'll go have some of that. And they would go and they'd eat. Oh, oh, and it, seriously, we saved the best for last. I pulled out like my best meat. It wasn't hamburgers and hot dogs. It was my flat steak and my everything else. And every time they saw him pull something off, they're like, there's more meat available. I think I'll go get it. And they got up 
And I'm telling you, we went through so much meat that night, didn't we? Probably could have fed twice as many people, but here's my analogy. They weren't afraid to go get that meat. They're like, well, that, they're cooking more meat. I'm going to go get some. I'm already full, but I could have a little bit more meat. Oh, they've got Polish sausage going. Oh, they've got carne asada. I think I'll go get some more meat. We need to be that same way. We, need, we don't need to say, well, I've had enough meat. I've had enough joy today, so I'll just rest. We can go like, I had joy yesterday, but there's more joy for me now. I'll get some more joy. I'll get more joy. He just made more joy on the grill. I'll go get some more. And believe me, none of the people at my house were worried about running out of meat. They were all eating the meat. You know, they weren't like, oh, we better ration it because I don't know if there'll be enough meat. They're all like, I think I'll get four plates of it. It looks delicious. It was super good, wasn't it? That's the way we need to be with the Lord. We, need, we don't need to ration ourselves with the Lord. We need to pursue the meat, the joy, every single day to an excessive amount, excessively, and never worry about whether we're too stuffed with joy. And we have to say, I need my joy every day. How do I get my joy every day? What do I, how do I participate with what God's doing for joy on this world every day? That's part about, that's about being intentional. I tell you, I don't like to cook, but I do like to host. You know, some people like to cook a meal and think about all the recipes, and I could just buy Sam's, but I do love to host a meal. Because for me, that's joy. Joy is this right here, is my community, seeing my people all the time, over and over, and doing life with them. You know, one thing I wanted to go, can you go back to my picture? My fish picture. And I know I've told some of you this backstory, but I'll, I'll share it with you. That, I look real good right there, don't I? That's because um, the first five minutes, you know, you know how they do the fishing? They put all the fishing rods out and they, how's it, it's called trawling? Trolling. And um, then the fish will hit it and then you just get to go reel it in. I mean, it's not like you really did the fishing part, right? But you get to reel it in. And so we were out maybe 10 minutes and the fish hit on it, right? And so they're like, ladies first, because I was the only woman. So I went up there and reeled that thing in. And then we were on the water for maybe four hours, three hours. The rest of the time I threw up, just so you know. The rest of the time. Over and over and over. I know, right? I wanted to show you the good picture. You know, and here's why I tell, I tell you all my personal stuff is because, you know, at first I was not going to go fishing because I wanted just Chris to go. And then they told me that um, it was going to be another couple because you have to split the, the boat. And I was like, okay, well, I don't want him to feel like the odd man out if it's another couple. It's just him, so I'll go. So it'll be two couples. Well, then, of course, it wasn't a couple. It was three other guys, so I was the odd person out, right? I was the fifth wheel. So I'm the only woman. There's all these other guys and Chris, and I'm, you know, retching on the side of the boat, right? Like I said, over and over and over. <laughs> but here's the, here's the thing. Here's the thing I love about it. You know how um, they say that crisis bonds you together? Like, I think it was um, Gary Smalley that said, shared crisis bonds you together. Chris and I will never forget that fishing trip because I remember throwing up. But what I really remember, seriously, 
I, this is what's so sweet to me. I, I remember him, and I don't think I've thrown up in front of him before. I don't know if I have, but no. I remember him standing over me, rubbing my back. Are you okay? Are you okay, babe? Are you okay? You're doing so good. You're such a trooper. You're doing so good. You're doing so good. That means more to me than anything. It means more to me than anything is that he just stood behind me between me and the other guys that I was throwing up in front of, and he just stood behind me and goes, you're such a trooper. You're doing so good. How's it going, babe? Are you doing okay? Rubbing my back. <laughs> the thing about that is that even though that was shared crisis, that brings me joy. It brings me joy because of our relationship together, you know? And I think that um, the more we do life with God in that intimate kind of way, where we're allowing him to minister to us in our brokenness, and he's saying, it's okay, it's all right, you're such a trooper, you're such a trooper, I'm right here with you, you're such a trooper, I'm sorry that you're going through this and that you're thrown up on the side of the boat, but I'm right here with you, and I, I'm standing between you and the other people that don't see you, you know, I'm protecting you, I'm covering you, that's the joy of the Lord, that's the joy of the Lord for me, to know that he's on my side. He's on my side. And we got to practice those encounters with him as much as we can because that's what keeps us, that's what, this, the thing that happened between me and him when he was rubbing my back, that strengthens our relationship. That strength, strengthens our bond because of that. And that's a picture of God in us and our relationship. I just love, it was such, that blessed me so much, babe. You know, one of the, um, another translation from um, that verse, John 15, 11, is these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Remain is a verb. It means to abide, continue, dwell, endure, be present, remain, stand, and tarry on. And it's a verb that is actually in the Greek. It's a verb that means um, if you do this, then this will happen. It's a conditional verb, okay? And so what Jesus is saying, if you remain in me, if you do these things, your joy will be full. And it, it's it just, I'm saying this to amplify the idea that there's things we have to do to remain in the Lord so that our joy will may, be full. And I don't know what that remaining is for you guys. Um, in this particular verse is the verse of, I'm the vine, you're the branches, remain in me. It's that whole sermon he gave his disciples. But you have to ask yourselves, how do I remain in the Lord? What, what are my personal disciplines that help me to remain or to abide in the Lord? Um, for some people, it's going to conferences. It's, going to, it's doing Bible studies. For other people, it's doing um, listening to music at home. Or it's, for me, it's this. For me, it's people. For me, it's having a party. For me, it's doing a movie night. For me, it's loving people where they're at and operating in whatever my particular gifts are. My question to you are, what are the gifts God has given you, and how are you practicing them? What are your gifts? Is it teaching? Is it fellowship? Is it arranging? I'm an arranger. Is it strategy? Relational? How are you practicing what God has given you? That's what's going to bring you joy. And you practice it with intentionality.
Just like in a marriage, we've got date night every week because we're going to be intentional about our relationship. That's how we hang on to joy and we grow joy. And this is the last thing I'll talk about. Joy comes from passion. She says, Allison says in this book, a passion-driven life with God on purpose because it is so worth it. If joyful is separated from intentionality, and if purpose precedes passion, then our spirituality can quickly turn into a duty to be done, not a relational process to be savored. And to me, that's the key. Joy is really relationship. Are we in relationship with each other, but more importantly, with God? And are we having that kind of relationship where he's rubbing our back, saying, I got you. You're a trooper. You're doing great. Are we practicing that kind of relationship? That's really what joy is, is a relational process. It is not a checklist. It's not, did I go to church? Did I do my Bible study? Did I do this, this, and this? Did I serve? Do I do this? It's about a relationship. However that relationship looks for you guys. Like I said, it can look totally different. For me, my relationship with God is about this. Is about being an arranger. Is walking in my arranging gifts. What are the things that um, steal your joy? What are what are some things that steal your joy, you guys? Distraction. What else? Fear, anxiety. One thing for me. How about comparison? Do any of you guys compare yourselves to anybody else and say, well, I'm falling short because I'm not as good as that person and I don't have their gifts and they're so much further ahead than me, I'm a loser. Anybody else here think like that? Anybody else have fear and anxiety? I not make enough money. I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. My kid's not talking to me. Anybody else have those? Um, what about criticism? What about negativity. Can negativity steal our joy? Because what does negativity do? Negativity partners, partners with the spirit that wants to steal our joy and get our eyes off. Because here's the deal. Joy, the pursuit of joy is saying, I believe God. Seriously. The pursuit of joy is saying, oh, God has said this about me and this about you and this about the world. I'm either going to partner with God or I'm going to partner with negativity. Which one are you going to do? Because I'll tell you right now, there's only one that brings you joy. You don't get joy out of negativity. You don't get joy out of criticism. There's only one thing that brings you joy that's partnering with what God says about you, about other people, and about the world. And I'll straight up tell you, he loves you. He loves other people, and he loves this world. And if we do not walk in love and partner with God, we cannot expect to walk in joy. And what's the opposite of joy? Despair, negativity, darkness, pessimism. I don't want to walk in that. What the Bible says about... Um, Nehemiah, he said, don't be grieved, but 
but be joyful because the joy of the Lord is your strength. The word grieve, the second definition of it, is to shape, fashion, make, form, stretch into shape, worship, and to form. It's very close to idolatry. When we do not partner with the Lord and believe what the Lord has said about us, other people in the world, we are at actually partnering with idolatry because we are forming something else other than what God says. We are partnering. It is close to idolatry. And if we're going to be sold out for the Lord, you guys, we've got to watch for idols in our lives. And sometimes negativity and criticism and fear and anxiety can be idols in our lives. What are, an idol is something we worship, that we give, we give precedence in our life, that we follow, that we believe in. If we're going to walk in joy, we have to cleanse, this is tough, cleanse our life of the idols in our life. And they can be things that we don't even recognize as idols. So my, my last questions to you are this. How does your everyday language, and you can, this can be your prayers when we end here. How does your everyday language reflect joy or not joy in your life? How does the words that you speak either partner with joy or partner with a different agenda? I'll just say that. How have we learned to participate or not participate with God's divine perspective about ourselves and others? That's what I want to close with. I want to close with that challenge. I want, you know, Proverbs says, as we think in our heart, so we do. As we speak, the, what's the scripture? Um, out of the heart speaks the mouth. The things that we say reflect what's embedded in our heart. Things that we say reflect what's embedded in our heart. So I'm going to ask you to ask yourselves, what are the things that you say? What do you say about yourself? What do you say about other people? How does that partner with joy? And is that something that can be tweaked so that you are actually practicing joy rather than resisting joy? And that's what I want you guys to talk about today, tonight. And I'm going to close, okay? Hold my hand. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this group. Lord, I just love them. God, I pray for joy, overwhelming, overflowing, absolutely supernatural joy to be manifest in our lives, Lord, that we would overflow to every person around us. They'd be so attracted to you, and we would be world changers, God. I know we're world changers. I pronounce world changers over us, Lord, that we walk in our authority and in our identity, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, can you please get with some?